Hello, and welcome to the family at World Harvest Outreach. Y'all, I'm having a morning. Like, this is the oldest I've ever felt. I'm the oldest, yeah. So, for like the last 15 minutes, I've been searching for these reading glasses. Like, I've been looking around like, where did I put them? They, they've been right here <clears throat> this whole time. And I could have sworn like I even went like this, and I, maybe I just missed, like, um, I left my phone at home. So I feel like, oh, man, where's my phone? So I'm having one of those mornings. Well, good morning. Pain, no, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to do something mean right now. <laughs> you look great today, Jason. Did you get that one? That one was for you. <clears throat> that one was for you. Love you. All right. <laughs> um, I don't know. Yes, last week, I, I said it, was like my favorite conversation that we had all year. All year. Because we were talking about this thing of forgiveness. And I'm like, I don't know if Mark planned it this way. Or like if it just fell in his heart this way. So maybe it was planned like spiritually by God. And God was like, I'm going to download this thing into you in December. That manifest, measure, multiply would end in December in forgiveness. I was like, whoa, that's the conversation we're supposed to be having, right? Because if you think about, because if you, if you don't know, our, our full like year theme has been around manifest, measure, and multiply. And really, these things are just like, they're really about maturity, right? Right? Like, what are you manifesting? Are you taking the time to measure? Like, measurement's important. Where am I? Where am I, Lord? What's the fruit that's producing? That, that, that's coming out of me? What, what, you know? And then actually multiplying. Like, how do we get the good fruit that is coming out of you, that's manifesting out of you to multiply? Right? Like, that's... But it's really maturity. Now, I mean, maturity... I mean, I guess you can measure it by manifest, measure, multiply, but really what we're trying to do is uh, to get you to love, right? Ultimately, we're trying to get people to love like Christ loves, right? Right? Isn't that kind of like the point and the goal at the end of the day? All right. But the only way that you're going to get to love the way that Christ loves is to live in a culture and environments of continual repentance. Right? Right? It's the only way. It's the only way to love like Christ's love is to figure out that I'm not loving like Christ's love and, and turn and repent. And then I get a little bit better. Like, I'm a little bit better, I'm a little bit closer to loving the way that Christ loved, and then I figure out that my little bit better is still not there, right? So what do I do? I keep going, I repent again. And, and I, I spoke about this earlier in the year, like, we, could, we always think about repentance in this way, as like, I've sinned, and I have to repent, and I think that is like an event, that's an event repentance. But as Christians, we actually actually should be repenting more than sinners do, quote unquote. Because the revelation of God's love should be continual, continually happening for us. Like that's the glory to glory that God is talking about. It's not like these event glory to glory. It's revelation glory. I go from glory to glory. Revelation of who God is to a greater revelation of who God is, to a greater revolution, a revelation of who God is, and I continually repent my thoughts and my patterns, my behavior, if you want to say. You know you know what? Fix your behavior until you can actually think, you know, like, it's not a bad thing. Right? And I continually go. So I'm not going to get to love without repentance, but I'm not going to repent unless there is the ability to be forgiven. Right? Like, that, that has to exist. Like, the ability to be forgiven has to exist in order to, for you to, to, 
walk into that repentance. Like, why would you repent if God's like, you know, I'm not forgiving you? Right? Does that make any sense? Does that make any sense? Maybe you're not seeing some repentance in people in your life because you actually haven't forgiven them. Maybe. Oh, today's going to be a tough one. All right? So just like, gird up your loins or what do they say in the Old Testament? Like, get ready. Like, maybe you haven't seen the repentance that you are looking for in people's lives because you haven't actually forgiven them. Grenade, and you deal with that. All right. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Okay. So, can I talk to you a little bit about, like, my week and uh, a little bit, like, inside baseball? You ever heard that phrase, inside baseball? Like, you know, like the inner workings of how things work. Okay. So, um, Karis, could you put up that one part of, um, of Defender? Because I got to tell you where I struggled. Like, I struggled this week. Okay, because there's this part in Defender where I'm like, this is actually not what I want. I, like, this is, I don't want to talk about this. Like, this is exactly kind of against what I want to talk It's the part where it goes, um, uh, the, uh, huh? First verse. The first verse, yeah. Okay. So, inside baseball. This is how this works. What happens during the week is that there's actually some planning that come, that goes involved in a service, right? Like you would think, it, oh, they just come here and, you know, a service happens. But that doesn't Like there's planning. And there's like this Facebook page that the worship team, um, like throughout the week, they'll throw up like some, some, some suggestions, right? So Defender comes up and in my spirit, I was like, oh, I don't want that song to be played because I don't like this line. I don't like that line. I don't like that verse. So I'm like, there's a part of me that very quickly was going to put into the, to the group conversation. I don't want this to be spoken or I don't want this to be sung because it's going to go against exactly what I'm speaking about. Like I'm the most important person in the world. And like, so I don't want, I don't like, that's not the thought I want. Right. So I think about it a little bit. I called Jen and I'm like, this is where I'm struggling with this. And then I called Mark and he, he helped me to think about this in a way. And honestly, like, the songs go up. I don't know how they pick how the, who sings the song. I'm guessing they cast lots or something like that. If it was, it was good enough to pick a, a new disciple, I guess, why not pick a new song, right? Like, you ever think about that? That's how they, like, picked Judas's replacement. They were like, well, we prayed and we fasted, so that didn't work, so let's roll dice. Like, that's weird, right? Like, Come on, you can laugh. <laughs> like, laugh a little, laugh a little. So, I don't know. Hey, you know, I guess Amanda got the assignment, right? She has to sing the song. So, this is where I'm struggling. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. I want you to go back to while we were singing that song. And here's the lines. You go before I know that you even gone to win my war. You come back with the head of my enemy. You come back and call it my victory. Don't open your eyes. I really would love, I don't want to know. I want you to know. Don't tell me because it could get dark. Um, but what, what popped into your mind when the head of your enemy is saying? Like, like, did you have a person that popped in your mind? I, like, I, I kind of hope not. Not a kind of hope not. I hope not. This is where I was struggling with this song. Because I'm like, oh man, and maybe it was me. Am I conjuring up enemies in my life that now have faces to them and that are people? And this is not what this song is about. So it's not like this song is like theologically incorrect. It's a Ben problem. It's a bend problem. Because I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh, 
Who are my enemies? Who are my enemies? And I'm like, well, if I'm thinking this, if I have people that pop in my head, the people are going to have people that pop up in their head. And then now we're way off track. Right? And now, you can open your eyes. I can tell you that if people popped up in your head, like when I said, oh, you come back with the head of my enemies, and I'm like, oh, I'm thinking about my ex-wife. Whoa. I'm thinking about my boss. I'm thinking about that person that hurt me 30 years ago. I'm thinking about my mom or my dad. I'm thinking, like, this is when we're like, whoa, wait a minute. What am I manifesting in that? Maybe I haven't truly measured my pain in that situation to be able to walk into true forgiveness here. Uh oh, what am I multiplying? What am I multiplying? What am I multiplying in this situation? So, I, so I'm thinking about this. And I've actually said this before up here. And I think there's actually like, um, there's a Christian thought pattern that I think actually brings, I'm, I'm going to get you to forgiveness here. You just have to stick with me. But I think that there's a thought pattern within Christian circles that actually produce enemies instead of producing an environment of repentance and forgiveness. Okay, so this is the tough thing I'm going to say to you. Ready? Because yeah. you've probably been taught this, and it's not exactly correct. But God is not on your side. Let that sink in. He is not on your side. Like, your side is way too small. Your side is way too biased. Your side is like filled with pain and it's filled with behavior that comes out. God is not on your side. And we've been taught this thing that God is on your side and what it usually does in our thinking, I don't think it's just semantics, what it usually does in our thinking is it emboldens us to continue with our side. God's on my side. So now I continue to walk on my side and what it does is create other sides. You got this. I'm telling you. God's on my side. So there are other sides. So now, because there are other sides, I have enemies. Yes! I've always wanted to have enemies. What? Not even God wants to have enemies. That, like, it's not in the will of God to have enemies. He's like, no, that's not, that's not my will. It's my will that all will be saved. One. So, you may think it's just semantics. You're like, no, what I mean is God has my back. Oh. God has your back. So now, in anything that you're doing, God has your back. And you never actually have to ask somebody for forgiveness because God is on my side. Well, he's on my side. So I don't need to have to ask for forgiveness. He's on my side. He's not on Chris's side. Let me tell you the truth. He is the side. There's no other side. Jesus is the side. Like, and, and the side is so humble that it's presented to us first in a manger. Around a bunch of farm animals. Could you imagine coming humbly, like, like Jesus himself? Like, this is wild to me. The side, the side, the crown jewel of heaven comes down. He puts him in a manger. Doesn't even have like a, like a onesie or anything, right? No, uh, uh, no uh, uh, baby uh, butt warmer for the, you know, like, you know, not, not a, a crib, not none of these things, not a swat. Like, swaddling clothes, like, hey, let's grab the rags that are left over. And we're wrapping the crown jewel of heaven 
This is the humility of God. He's like, you want to know something? I'm a step. I got aside. Here I am. But I, I present it to you in the purest form possible. The most vulnerable form possible. A baby. This is crazy when you think about it. It's insane. It's insane when you think about it. And it's so beautiful in its humility. In, in its humility. So, God's not on your side. He's not on your side. He's not on your side. He's better than that. God is for you. See, because when he's for me, he can also be for Chris. It's not just semantics. It's not just semantics. He's for me. So, when God is for me, Mark brought this up two weeks ago, when God is for me, he has no issues with confronting me when I'm actually not for me. So, when I align myself with an identity that he never defined, God has no problem with standing in front of you and being like, we're going to confront this because I'm actually more for you than you for you. Oh, you, you want to attach these things to you? Yeah, no problem. Okay. If you look, like, just read the Old Testament. How many times, how many times did God send the people of Israel into captivity because they were not operating within the identity that he defined them? So next thing you know, it's like, okay, I'm going to let you do this. Go ahead. And then what did they experience? Slavery. Suffering. How many times do we do this to ourselves? Like, oh, I'm going to put on all these identities. Like, this is what we talk about with the donor. I'm going to put on all these identities. I'm going to attach them to me. And I'm going to cling on to them so hard that I'm going to, I actually cause my own suffering. Yeah. And people want to be like, well, the devil is doing this. I'm like, you? Bro. Like, look in the mirror. Because your greatest enemy is the thing that you worship that is not the Lord. That's your greatest enemy. Yeah. So when you sing this song in proper perspective, what needs to come back, the head of your enemy, are the th your idols that you put in front of God. And sometimes you have to step back and be like, God, you know what? You're God. Destroy those, those, destroy those idols. You know, when you sing that song too, who's your greatest enemy but you? Yeah. So when you sing, come back with the head of your enemy, my enemies, it's your head. It's your head that he should be coming back with more times than not. You ever think about it? You're singing these songs, you're like, hallelujah, head of my enemies. And he's like, hey, here's your head. It's filled with this stuff. Like you're putting stuff in your head, all this stuff, you, you know, things you put in your eyes and things you believe and things that, you know, and hey, so here, your greatest enemy, I put it on a platter for you at your head. Deal with it now. And you look at it and you're like, wow, that looks familiar. Man. That's hard. That's hard. So I told you, like, today's not going to be easy. But, but, yeah, it's real. So we sit there and we start blaming things. We start like, okay, let me look around here. Who can I blame for my problems? I can look around and I'm like, well, you hurt me and you hurt me and you hurt me and you hurt me. And, and what you've done is you said, um, uh, uh, you're worthy to control my life and you're worthy to control my life and you're worthy to control my life and you're worthy to control my life. And you're saying you're worthy of it all, but you actually gave out all the control to all these other to this pain, to this thought, to this. And here we go. And we start the cycle. Monday. Oh, man. Messed it up already. Monday. Second Monday rolls around. If we're... Um, God is for you. I want to back that up with a. I want to read a bunch of scripture. How about we read a bunch of scripture? Let's go to Romans 8. Oh, thank you for these glasses, Lord. Our victory in Christ. How much time do I have? Oh, we're good. Okay, we're starting in verse 26. 
In the same way, the Spirit also helps out our weaknesses. Now, it's kind of in the same way, then you have to go up to verse 5, but if we hope what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. It's talking about faith. Okay. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Isn't that kind of cool? You ever think about that? Like, as you're praying in your spirit, there are groans that are going up to the Father talking about you. Like, your spirit is talking to his spirit, and he's like, I hear it. So you're actually covered by Jesus hearing what your spirit is saying when you are not even cognitively understanding what... You get it? Like, it's crazy. He got you covered. He's for you. He's for you. Okay. And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is. Who's he? Jesus. Because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. To those who are called according to his purpose. Wow. So really the context of this is your completion. Like you're raising up in maturity. So all these things that you have going on in your life and people you have to forgive and people you have to, all this stuff, it all comes together for good, for your growth, for your maturity, so that you can know how to love. So you can know how to love. So it's not like, what he's not saying is like, don't worry, all things come together for good for your financial well-being. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, all things come together for good, for good so that you can grow into maturity so you can look more like Jesus. So you can look more like Jesus. And then after that, all things will be added to you. It's, it's amazing how the Bible works together. Okay, so i got to keep on. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. Right? So what's the point of all of this? To be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among brethren. I think this is so cool. Okay, so what's so cool about this is that in a manger, in a manger, one day we saw the firstborn of God, like his son. But he didn't intend that to be the only. It says it right there. He didn't intend that to be the only. He intended it to be the firstborn among Many brethren. Whoa. So the invitation for you is to be many brethren. But the path the path is laid with a lot of things that God then purposes to work together for good. That makes sense? Makes sense. Like, like just words on a page, but when you walk through your life and you're like, oh, that didn't feel so good, but I could see how it actually matured me, and that didn't feel so great, and I can see how that matured me, and oh, I, you know what? I see actually more clearly how to love because this pain happened over, or I had this suffering over here, or I did this over there, and all of it comes together like a beautiful stone path, like you put that, you put it together. Right? And then you fill it in with sand. And that one event may have been one, it may have been a thing, right? Like it's, a, it's an outlier. It's right here. By itself, it's just a stone. But put together with all your life, you have a path towards the invitation. That's so cool. Like, the Father is in the details. He didn't say, what's the real um, saying? The devil's in the details. No, 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 no. The Father is in the details. Like the very small, like the minutia. He's in those things and he's putting it together. It's so cool. So cool. Okay. Okay. I'm going to skip down to verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Well, okay. Now, okay. This, this, this verse is not about your identity or an enemy. Okay? I'm sorry. This verse is not about your enemy. It's about your identity that he has established. 
If he's established that, then no one can reestablish that over him. No one can reestablish it over him. Nobody can come in your life and redefine who your identity is or what your purpose is. He has defined it. No one can be against what the Lord has defined. Okay? Now, once again, who is the person that more times than not comes against what he defined? Me! So when you read that, if God is for us, who should be against? It's another look in the mirror opportunity. Hold on, I'm going to cough and I don't want to do it in here. This is what happens more times than not. Like, this is when I feel like you feel the wrath of God. God has so much wrath for all the things that come against that, your identity that he's like burning against those things. Right? Like he's trying to obliterate those things. Right? But when I hold on to those things, like look how stupid this looks. If I walked around like this and I said, uh, this is my identity. And God's like, that's not your identity. That's not your, I didn't make you with that. Like I didn't put, but I'm walking, no, this is, look at this. Right? This looks stupid. Right? Don't I look stupid right now? Come on. You could have been nicer. But what happens is, more times than not, I hold on to this so tightly. And God's wrath comes against this thing, but I'm holding on so tightly. What are you going to feel? God's wrath. You're going to feel that? And until I let it go, we got plenty of these. <laughs> Just trust me. Could you all fill these things up, please? Like, seriously. You can. Hold that up there. Oh, man. Can I, can I, I, was, I was losing my breath. That's the way with a false identity. That's the way we interact with one. Yes. Yes. Look how far. Stand up, Kendall. <laughs> if you're going to make me hold a chair, I'm going to make you stand. Okay, look, look how far apart I am because I'm holding these things that were never meant to be part of my identity. Come on, huh, Ken? Give me a hug. Oh, Kendall doesn't even, he doesn't care about me. Can't get to you. Kendall, he, he just never really even engages with me. Wait a minute, bro. I pick on Wayne all the time, but I always look at Wayne. You too. You have jobs because people can't let things go. Like, I don't know if I should pray for you to be unemployed because then people were free or be like, you know what, let him deal with it. <laughs> Wayne's like, I'm ready to retire, so let him deal with it. Like, he's like, I'm done. <laughs> no, but this is, this is what happens. So more times than not, we're the us that's against us. And then we're like, God, why are you doing this to me? He's like, no, no, no. The wrath that I have is against this thing that you, that you just like, that you hold, that you just like hold on to. And if you just let it go, I would like, I would come back with the head of it. You, you hear where I'm at? Like the, like the question that you have to walk out of today is, <clears throat> what, what's the thing that I'm worshiping that's not the Lord? What is the thing that I'm worshiping that's not the Lord? And more times than not, I can tell you the answer. It's in your bathroom, and it's a mirror. More times. And the things that I add on to it is to make me feel better about myself. Okay, you know, like money, vanity, all this kind of stuff. Like, so I can feel better about what I see in the mirror. The Lord's like, that's not you at all. And if you just would let it go. Okay, I'm moving faster than I thought. Hey, we may be out of here early. Oh, jeez. <laughs> what are my people's... <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh -huh. Okay, go ahead. You want to say it in the mic? Oh, look who makes the rules around here. Tell me. Oh, well, that's it. Okay. You know what? I, I love it. Yeah. You want to know something? I can make that biblical. Okay. No, 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 no. No, no. It's, it's really right. Because you want to know something? Not even Jesus himself carried his cross the whole way. 
Not even Jesus himself. So, you know, like... More times than not, we never get to pick up our cross because you have a handful of baggage. Did you hear that? Because that's like the most profound thing I've ever said in my life. I'm not even tapping myself on the back. But more times than not, you have no room to actually carry your cross, like to walk ahead with your true identity because you're carrying around all your baggage. Where are you going to hang? Like, where's a cross? Where's actually the thing that's going to multiply? That's going to matter. So, but, 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 even Jesus himself, to Mark's point, he's walking down the road and he can't carry his cross no more. So what we need are people... Was that, was that his cross to carry? Was it Jesus' cross to carry? No, it was ours. But I hate to tell you, he was the only one worthy to carry it. You talk about, is he worthy at all? But then he gets tired. And they point at a guy and they say, what was it, Simon? 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 Was it Simon? They say, hey, you, pick up that cross. So now somebody else is actually picking Jesus' cross up. And this is when it's appropriate to actually carry the chair. Like when we're partnering with someone else, and like Mark comes up and, you know, I, I need, I'm tired. I need this cross to be carried. So I carry the cross. All right. But what's not appropriate is for me to be crucified on Mark's cross. Okay. At some point, he had to put that cross down, and Jesus needed to come back up and get. Right? But what happens more times than not is that we pick this thing up, we carry it, and now it becomes a part of our identity. I don't know when to put it down, and all of a sudden. You start resenting the thing you have to carry. I, I hope I explained what you, where your heart was. <clears throat> okay, let's move forward. I love y'all. I really do. He who do not, did not spare his own son. But, geez, I got <laughs> Oh, the other words. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. God is the one who justifies. So I spend all this time trying to justify myself and my own thought about who I am. And God's like, I can't honor any of that. Who's the one that justifies? God. I'm trying to convince people, no, this is, this is me, this is me, this is me. And God's like, hey, by the way, that's I am. That's me. And people know, they're like, oh, I see through all that. I'm like, that's crap. Like, and you try to, he's the one who justifies. Now, I want to bring it more to a focus of forgiveness. Because <clears throat> this is important. Because manifest, measure, multiply, maturity, love, repentance, and a environment of forgiveness. <clears throat> oh, you want to know something, though? I want to talk about this also. Uh, I'll do it as I... <clears throat> I want to go into Matthew. <clears throat> Matthew 18... Verse 21. Now, this is a classic like parable or story um, on forgiveness where Peter comes up to the Lord. Well, let's just read it. <coughs> then Peter came and said to him, Lord, Oh, I'm trying to think. Should I go up more? You don't have to go there, but I'm just going to read this to you because it's good context. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever is loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that you may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. Now, 
it's a really weird thing that the next thing Peter asks for is, hey, how many times should I have to forgive someone? It's like a really weird segue. I think Peter almost got this thing like he said, okay, I just heard, I just heard that if I bind something on earth, it's bound in heaven. So how many times do I have to give this person an opportunity before I can bind him on earth so he's bound in heaven? It's kind of like a sneaky way to ask a question. It's very pharisaical of Peter at this point. It feels very, like, like he's almost trying to trap God, but he traps himself. Okay, it's so cool. God, like, so, then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but I say 70 times seven. Okay, so I'm not saying that Peter was saying this. I'm saying this is what I'm getting from it. Okay, so Peter says, how many times should I forgive my brother? Up to seven times. And this is where he traps himself. Okay. What's seven? What's seven the number of? Completion. Completion. So he basically says to Jesus, should I forgive up to completion? And he didn't even know it. How many times should I forgive my brother? Up to seven times? How many, and say it like this now. How many times should I forgive my brother? Up to completion? And Jesus is like, how about completion times 10? Like, not your thought of completion, but my thought of completion. Like the father's thought of completion. Because I have thoughts of completion, right? They're very self-serving. Like I have, I like I have thoughts of completion. Okay, I'm going to love my wife to completion of how I have. Like, of my thoughts of completion for her. Well, this and that, and completion would be these things, and she does this, and she thinks this way. And, and the father's like, how about your thoughts of completion are so low level that you need to times it by 10 and then multiply it? My thoughts of completion, not your thoughts of completion. Peter traps himself in his words. He doesn't even know what he's saying. He just says seven. And Jesus is like, that times. Oh, by the way, that's a lot of forgiving. Even seven times is a lot of forgiving for us, right? Because we're like, because I'll be honest with you, it is kind of annoying when people are like, sorry, but they do the same thing. Like, at that point, you don't want to even hear the sorry. You're like, nah, 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 I don't want to hear the sorry. Oh, I'm sorry, right? If you have kids, you know this, right? Like, yeah, right? How many times am I supposed to forgive this kid? To completion. There's a lot more weight when you say it that way, right? Jesus, how am I supposed to forgive my brother? How many times? To completion. When is it done? I don't know when it's done. How about seven times? Oh, well. I love that about this. Like, when I say the father is in the details, you never see those details until you really think about them. How many times am I supposed to forgive? To completion. My, the Lord's definition of completion. So, this is when it gets a little hard. <clears throat> Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. <clears throat> For this reason... The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he didn't have the means to pay, to repay, the Lord commanded him to be sold, along with his wife and children, and all that he had and, and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, have patience with me, and I will pray you everything. <clears throat> and the Lord of the slave felt compassion and released him and forgave his debt. 
Thank you, Jesus. But the slave went out and found one of the fellow slaves who owned him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay me back what you owe. So this fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and he went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what he was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then, summoning him, his Lord said to him, which I just realized something right now, that the condition of his lordship had nothing to do with his debt. Why? Because he forgave the debt, but he's still the Lord. Think about this. We think in terms, in very fleshly terms, I owe this person, right? Like I owe. <clears throat> so they're lording over me. But in this situation, he forgives the debt, but he's still the Lord. So he could come back and still lord over him. Like this is wild to me. It was never about the debt. It was about the relationship. Yeah. It was never about the debt. He didn't stop being the Lord because the debt was forgiven. The Lord does not stop being the Lord because your debts have been forgiven. And we way too many times treat the Lord like he isn't the Lord anymore because he forgave us of his thing and now we can do whatever we want. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He is still the Lord. Amen. You heard that back there. I heard it. That was a baby amen. That's better than all your amens. We'll take that. So, when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. And they summoned him, and his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should not you have also had mercy on the fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that he was owed. Okay, I want to stop there for a moment. Too many times when I've read <clears throat> that parable, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> I've focused on the mercy part, right? Like, you should have shown the same amount of mercy, right? Although, the Lord in the situation showed a lot more mercy because there was a lot more owed. And we focus on this mercy thing, but it's actually not mercy that we're talking about. It's gratitude. It's gratitude. What the slave didn't show to the Lord was the right amount of gratitude for an environment of forgiveness that he was then able to display that gratitude to someone he had to forgive. So I, this is the hard, this is the hard one, all right? I submit to you that you actually don't have a forgiveness problem if you are having trouble forgiving, you have a gratitude problem because you have not truly understand what you have been forgiven of. If you truly knew, if you truly, if I truly knew the gratitude, if I truly knew, I would be so grateful that I would be throwing out forgiveness like it was like... <coughs> I don't want to do the Oprah thing. <clears throat> you get forgiven, you know. <clears throat> I, I'm not showing enough gratitude. When I'm not forgiving freely, what I'm saying to the Lord is I don't have the enough, I, I don't have the requisite amount of gratitude to you, oh Lord. The greatest like gift of heaven that came down in the most humblest form to take on what I should have rightfully had to carry. I don't have enough gratitude for this that I would extend it and be like, yeah, it's okay that you said that. Like, what? You want to say something, Mark? Yeah. I saw you had the mic. I want to 
make sure that that point gets hammered home for I have to walk through my life right now, understanding what my, I have to measure right now, what is my level of gratitude? And I guarantee you, it's probably not enough. It's probably not enough. So when we say, you remember that I will enter the, I will enter his courts with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. Okay. I used to think, I used to think, oh, that means I'm entering his courts with all the gratitude for all the things that I have in my life, right? Like, no matter what it is, if it's bad or if it's good, I'm entering his courts with thanksgiving. Oh, I'm fake happy about all these things, right? No, 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 no. I, I have now come to realize that my thanksgiving is the mere fact that I can enter his courts. No, see, yeah. oh, man. Yeah. my gratitude is like, oh my God, I could step into this place. I get to be here in your presence. I get to be here. And all the other stuff that I'm dealing with, it's all like, you know, it's all like, whatever. It's all like, it's literally whatever. It's so much like not even a thing. Yeah, I, like, and then he sends his son in a manger, allows him to grow and just like display what humans are supposed to be. Then he dies on a cross also that we can continually enter his courts. I should be continually grateful. I should be continually grateful. So if I have unforgiveness in my heart, I need to start measuring what? My level of gratitude. Yeah, just a second. My level of gratitude. My level of gratitude. My understanding of what Jesus did. My understanding of who he is. My understanding of like his great mercy towards me. It's, and you want to know something? It's not about the mercy. Like when you say, oh, like I'm going to show mercy on someone. It's like, oh, like you have this high thing. Like I'm, I'm, I'm over this person. I have this thing on you. No, it's, wow, I hold the Lord in so much high esteem that I can do nothing but extend forgiveness where I have been offended. Like, Lord. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I, th I think that also ties into... It's on. Say it to here. I think that also ties into the other parable that the Lord tells about the two debtors. But instead of being both from one to the other, they're both from the same guy. Well, one was forgiven much, one was forgiven a little. And then the Lord follows up, which one do you think will love me more? I think we need to look at that as the same aspect of gratitude, because sometimes we think we've been forgiven little, but we've been forgiven a whole heck of a lot. Mm -hmm. yeah. And because we think we're so good, we don't ever think about all the things that this, this huge thing. Yeah. You know? Well, it goes back to the other portion of the verse where your spirit is groaning. To his spirit, things that you don't, like your praise, like you don't even know how to pray. And your spirit's groaning and your spirit is like repenting for things that are not even consciously in your mind. So when you have gratitude for the things for, you've been forgiven, you probably have to understand that the things that you have forgive, been forgiven is 70 times 7. The Lord's also giving you another hint and saying, hey, guess what? Guess what? I didn't forgive you seven times. I forgave you 70 times, seven times. And I'll continue forgiving you until completion. But the things that you don't know that are in your spirit that you need to ask for forgiveness from, I got that because I'm interceding. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. So he wasn't telling Peter simply how many times you have to systematically forgive. He was giving Peter insight into the overflow of forgiveness that is available to you. This, this is what didn't go on, right? Oh, yeah. 
<coughs> I fixed it. I think it's also important that not only do we forgive others the 70 times 7, but I think it's also important that we do the same for ourselves. It's good. Because if we don't do the same to ourselves, how can we ever forgive anybody else or love anybody else? Thank you. Amen on that. Now, I'm going to close on this. <clears throat> because there's the other side of the coin. There's the other side of the coin. Right? We tell our brother, like, how many times are you supposed to forgive your brother? 70, 70 times 7. So I said, forgive him to completion. <clears throat> but, hey, brother, could you work towards completion, please? <laughs> right? <laughs> you're like, I mean, sometimes you're like, why I have to forgive you so much? Like, what? Can we work on ourselves that we actually don't have the opportunity to have to be forgiven because we've actually matured? How about stop doing the same crap all the time? And thinking you're not hurting anyone. Have you ever considered that? Okay. This is a conversation I really had with Mark. I'm going to do something he told me not to do. I asked him one day if I could preach this one sermon, and he said no, but here I am. I was like, we always preach that we have to love people, but we never tell people to be lovable. Yeah, you heard me. I'm standing on that. Like, we always tell people, like, oh, we, you know, you have to, we have to love people. We never look people in the eye and be like, could you mature? So that everybody's not wasting all this energy trying to love you into maturity, and you're sitting here, and you're standing in the same place, and everybody's supposed to act like they're okay with it. No, we love you, brother. We love you. You circle back around. Oh, you're still here. We love you. We love you. No, we love you. We love you. Love you. Love you. No, but, but this is the heart of a son. This is the heart of a son. The heart of a son, he hears from his father. He hears from his brothers. I love you. And he's like, okay, what are we going to do with that? What are we going to do with that? Oh, okay. You know what? We're going to move forward. So when he comes around, he's like, oh, this is cool. You're, you're over here now. Yeah. I love you. Whoa. I'm loved. Like, love is not meant to build up your crap. It's meant to propel you towards your completion. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not meant to, like... Like, God's love will never sit and, and just like, uh, what's the word? Uh, uh, sorry, Mark, I did what you told me I have to do, but uh, it was kind of funny. Um, he loves me. He lets me do this sometimes. Um, I know. But yes, yes, yes. It's like, nor do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. We should be able to, as a family, be like, I love you. Now grow up. I love you, now grow up. Put away childish things. Yes! That's what those difficult conversations that Mark's been talking about. Yes! It's why you have to have them. And if you didn't hear it, that's why those difficult conversations need to happen. Because we have to be able to look each other in the eye and be like, look, I love you. Can we talk about this? Oh, and you want to be really mature? When somebody comes up to you and says, I love you, but can we talk about this? You then say, wow, thank you. Yeah. I'm so grateful that you love me so much that you would actually say, grow up. You don't get many of those people in your life that are going to look you in the eye and say, guess what? It's grown up pants time. Yes. 
think that's why Mark maybe not wanted you to say that, because when you keep saying, I love you, I love you, I love you, eventually you saying, I love you, I love you, I love you, will make that person grow up and come back to you because you keep saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. Yeah. I, I guarantee you the person that will say, I love you, in the true spirit of God, will continue to have a, a, a place of forgiveness when you fall back, that they'll still continue to say, I love you. But be wary of the person who will not challenge you. Would you please be wary of the person who is just going to continue to be like, I love you and allow you to encamp in this place, in the wilderness, or in wherever that's not the promised land. What they're saying to you is, you're good enough. Packaged in, I love you. Well, you're fine. I like you this way. I feel comfortable with who you are. Instead of, like, there's so much more. There is so much more. Man, there, I, like, I could, I could see, then this is where the prophetic, I can see what you're actually giving up, man. You're leaving some on the table. Let's go, let's get him. I love you, but let's go get that. That's the person. Yeah. That's the person in your life. Addressing the next two verses after that parable. Uh, okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, I would feel comfortable. <clears throat> Actually, I'm going to do it this way. Stand because I want to bless you. Chris wants me to address these power, these last two verses, but I want to bless you with this <clears throat> because I I think in this is the blessing. Okay. Thank you because I wanted to say this. This is the hard truth. This is the hardest truth I'll probably say to you today. You get to pick and choose who you forgive. You don't get to pick and choose who you're accountable for forgiving. Did you hear that? You get to pick and choose who you forgive. You don't get to pick and choose who you are accountable to forgive. That means you have to forgive all to completion. Now, I'm not saying that it's your responsibility to get that person to completion. Many times in a kind of abusive situation, you should not be the person that gets that person to completion. But in your heart, you can forgive so that the environment allows that person to get to completion over there. That's cool. I get all that stuff. But... The next couple of verses is basically telling us, it's saying to us, like point blank, you get to choose, but I'm holding you accountable to all. That's like the heaviest part of this, is that there's never a time where Jesus will come to you and say, it's okay not to forgive them. Never a time. The father would not dishonor the sacrifice of his son by allowing you not to display the amount of forgiveness that he displayed. You hear me? That's what those two verses are saying. He's like, nah, no, 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 no. My son died. <laughs> My son died for this. So father... I know I didn't address it directly, but this is what I, that's where I wanted to get to with those two verses. Because those last two verses, I'll say, Father, it says right here, my heavenly Father will, my heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Jeez, that's a hard one to forget. That's a hard one to end the parable. So Father, instead of me having to worry about that, I pray my gratitude continually grow. Father, increase my gratitude by giving me like revelation of who you are daily so that I can actually appreciate what I have been forgiven of. 
And Father, through that gratitude, may the fruit be mercy that I show to so many. To all. Let's not leave any on the table. Can I guarantee you, you will not reach the fullness of who you are until you start forgiving towards completion. It stunts them and it stunts you. So Father, let no one here be stunted. Let no one here be stunted. Father, I bless this family with a heart of gratitude that results in forgiveness. That everywhere they walk, they would have an environment and a spirit of repentance that continually points them to the goodness of God. We thank you, Lord. We enter your courts with thanksgiving because we can enter your courts. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen. All right. Go have a grateful weekend. Week. Well, whatever you do. I don't know. Maybe you work in a... Have a great week filled with gratitude. World Harvest Outreach is located in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, but we have family around the world. To connect with us, visit us at whocenterpa.com.